Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with this sermon entitled, The End is Coming, preached on December 29, 1996. The End is Coming. Since the day Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, there has been an end to individual life. For God said, the day you eat thereof, you will die. There is an end to this world. It is appointed, the Bible says, for man wants to die, and then comes the judgment. God of heaven sets up rulers and puts them down. There is going to be an end to the world history as we read the scriptures. There will be a shaking not only of the earth, but also of the heavens, so that what cannot be shaken may be revealed and remain. So St. Peter declared this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Yet let me tell you, people have very little understanding of this fact of the end of all things. And this was true during the time of Noah. The preacher Noah preached many, many, many years that the end is coming. And you know the story, nobody paid any attention. And only eight people were delivered from that end. This was also true of uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not even 10 people were saved. In fact, the righteous man's wife, Lord's wife, herself was destroyed. So people are like the Belshazzar of Daniel 5. They are engaged in giving parties or enjoying parties. Now it is the season for parties, I understand. It is the season to have a a good time. It is the season to drink and forget about problems. Now let's look at who is this Belshazzar that we read about in this chapter of Daniel 5. You know the theme of the book of Daniel, it is God most high reigns, he is sovereign over all. He does what he pleases. Not man, not nations, not president, not prime ministers. All nations, Isaiah said, together are nothing. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. Who is then this Belshazzar? His name means may Bel protect the king. That means may the dumb idol Bel protect the king. Many scholars years ago laughed at this particular reference to 
King Belshazzar in chapter 5 of Daniel. In 1850, Ferdinand Hitzig opined that this name, Belshazzar, was the figment of the imagination of the person who wrote this book, whoever that person happens to be. Liberal scholars never believed that Daniel ever wrote this book in the sixth century BC. They believed that Daniel was a second century book, not a prophecy, but history written after the events. And not only that, this name, Belshazzar, was not known by any secular sources. So in 1854, a British consul, J.G. Taylor, while exploring some ruins in southern Iraq, came across several small cylinders containing about 60 lines of cuneiform writing, which clearly spoke about Nabonidus and his eldest son, Belshazzar, who ruled in Babylon as co-regent with his father. Now, it's good to have a little historical review before we speak about this chapter. Remember 586, that was the year Jerusalem fell, the temple of Solomon was destroyed, and the vessels were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. Around 563 BC, this great king Nebuchadnezzar died. Then his son, evil Merodach, ruled from 562 to 560 B.C. He was murdered by a general, Neri Glissar, who married a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And he ruled till 556 B.C. Then his son, Labashi Marduk, ruled briefly. Less than nine months he ruled and was murdered by Nabonidus, who probably came from the merchant class in Babylon and was not related to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nabonidus ruled from 556 BC to, to the end of Babylon, which is this chapter speaking, 539 BC. Now, the, the cylinders that J.G. Taylor discovered spoke about Nabonidus as well as his son, Belshazzar. His son, Belshazzar, ruled with Nabonidus as co-regent for many years. Nabonidus was a warrior, and so he went out and engaged himself in various battles. But his son Belshazzar was a playboy who lived in Babylon while his father waged battles throughout the empire. 
So now finally, secular history clearly revealed the truthfulness and the historicity of God's word concerning Belshazzar, the king, that this chapter is speaking. Now Isaiah prophesied in the 8th century that God would destroy Babylon through Cyrus, a Persian king. Now it is good to turn to that prophecy which Isaiah gave over 200 years before the destruction of Babylon. And it is clearly recorded in Isaiah 44. And let me read to you from verse 24 through chapter 45, verse 2. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. Here is 200 years before the destruction of Babylon. A prophecy is given through his prophet Isaiah. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be built. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry. And I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And will accomplish all that I please. There is the first time. In the prophecy of Isaiah, God reveals the name of the one who will destroy Babylon. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundation be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations, before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. I'll go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And not only that, Daniel himself was given this revelation and it is recorded in chapter 2. Verse 32 and verse 39 record the fact that the power will move away from Babylon to the Medo-Persian Empire. So about 47 years after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, in 539 B.C., that's the year of this chapter, Daniel 5, the end of Babylon has come and is described here. Let's look at the party. There is a party here. We do not know in celebration of what this party was given. Maybe it was Belshazzar's birthday or maybe it was 
a holiday of religious calendar. But it was a grand party. 1,000 nobles. In other words, all the great ones of Babylon were there. Just like when President Clinton gives a party, he invites certain people, not you. <laughs> not me, but great ones. Generally, when Eastern king gives a party, women are not invited. But Belshazzar invited wives and concubines. It was the mother of all parties. There was eating. There was drinking. Wine flowed freely. There was sensual dancing. There was carousing and coarse joking. There was singing. There was mocking. There was flattery aplenty of Belshazzar. And there was a wall, well-lit wall, where exaggerated exploits of playboy Belshazzar were written in Aramaic language. Of course, they were mostly lies to boost his ego. The nobles would say, we could imagine, Belshazzar, you are the greatest. You are the champion. You are the king of kings. You are greater than Nebuchadnezzar. Let me tell you, something was going on outside of this banqueting hall. Nabonidus was fighting in the field against the Persian army of Cyrus. And Cyrus defeated Nabonidus and turned to the city of Babylon. But it was impregnable. Nobody ever breached this city. The city was surrounded by very high and thick walls. The top of the walls was like a freeway over 50 or more feet wide. And river Euphrates flowed through the city. And the people of Babylon stored 20 years provision inside the city. Let me tell you, they felt very, very secure enough to give this great party. Food for 20 years, water, no problem. You can get it from Euphrates, which was flowing through the middle of the city. Walls impregnable. No one ever broke through these defenses. Well, let me tell you, 200 years before, God Most High revealed his mind to Isaiah, and later to Daniel and Jeremiah, that he was going to destroy Babylon. It was decreed by the Almighty that Babylon will be destroyed. So he raised up a Cyrus, a Persian king. His general, Gobrias, skillfully diverted the waters of Euphrates, which entered the city in the north to a nearby lake. Part of the Persian army he stationed in the north and the other part in the south. 
Now the Persian army became able to enter into the city through the dry riverbed as it was predicted by Isaiah in chapter 44 and chapter 45. Inside people were very, I said, very secure. They did not even shut the gates to the city. And that was also prophesied. They were having a great party, total security, total celebration, total drunkenness. They are defying the Persian army and Cyrus. Yes, you might have defeated my father Nabonidus, but you can never enter this city. You'll be out there for 20 years. They are defying the Persian army and Cyrus finally at the height of the celebration. Belshazzar, the drunken king, defies not only Persian army, but he defies the God most high. He defies Jehovah by ordering the holy vessels of the temple of Solomon to be brought to the banqueting hall so that revelers could drink out of them and mock the God of Judah. To show that Babylon defeated not only Judah, but the God of Judah, Jehovah himself was defeated. As Dr. Boyce says, sin is, let me tell you, is not static. It is dynamic. It gets worse and worse and worse. Go home and read Romans chapter 1. And you notice the degeneracy of a sinner. God gives them over, gives them over, gives them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not to do. The city was surrounded by high walls and they felt very, very secure. They could defy Persian army. They could defy Jehovah. Degeneracy gets in. Also, Boyce says correctly that sin makes people blind. Blind to what? Blind to serious dangers. Religion is not the opium, he says. It is sin that makes people blind and insensitive and impervious to dangers. Belshazzar became a playboy pervert. He never accomplished anything, but he lived in dissipation. But true God was watching him and weighing his actions. God is not static either. He is an acting God in due course. He will act. He acted in the great flood. He acted in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He acted in the defeat of Egypt. He acted in the defeat of the Canaanites through Joshua when their iniquity became full. He always acts in due course. There is an end to his patience. But let me tell you, God is an acting God. There is an end to his patience. Yes. And so he acted in the overthrow of Babylon as he promised. The party is in its highest moment of revelry. As they drank from the goblets of the temple of Jehovah. Now suddenly Jehovah contributes something to this party. 
the handwriting on the plaster of the lighted wall, which recorded all sorts of lies, but now there is real truth recorded. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand wrote a message from heaven on the wall. First time there is reality. A dark omen, the anti-climax of the party, a very large wet blanket was put upon this great hall of celebration. The face of the king grew pale. His knees gave way and he fell face down. No drinking, no singing, no dancing, no carousing, no coarse joking, no toasting, no mocking. Complete silence. They're all frightened. The mighty have fallen. They did not think about an end. Let me tell you, they never thought about an end. They thought their party will go on forever. Babylon will continue forever. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy where God speaks. Verse 20 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 32. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. And now verse 29. Oh, I hope you will write this down. Young man, young girl, Old man, old woman, whoever you are, here is the heart of God. Verse 29, if only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. It is good to reflect today about your end. No one wants to think about the end. No one wants to hear about death and judgment. One would say to me, I have come this morning to church, so you preacher, can you soothe me? I say to you, go to a soothsayer to do that. One would say, tell me nice things, things that will lift my spirits. Tell me I'm nice. Isn't that true? Many, many people are going to church, but it makes no difference where the country is headed. Such a person would tell me, don't scare me with sin and judgment and death. Well, let's look at the soothsayers. You find them in this book several times, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5. If you read it, you will notice every time they are called upon, they are impotent. Call the soothsayers, the wise men, the intellectuals, the magicians. That was the answer of Belshazzar in his fright and confusion. Who are these soothsayers? They are the intellectual frauds. They always fail. They fail Pharaoh. They fail Nebuchadnezzar. They fail Belshazzar. They are frauds. They are the talking heads. Intellectuals of East as well as West fail. They pretend to be gods. They have no answer. 
They disappoint you with their theories and dissertations. They cannot help you when your end comes. There are no gurus who can help you. No professor can help you. No one. The Belshazzars never learn. They trust these frauds and seek their counsel. And the frauds came and they looked at the writing. It didn't make any sense to them. In fact, they saw MN, then TKL, then PRS in Aramaic language without context, without vowels. Made no sense. Absolutely no sense. They looked at the writing and miserably again failed. Presidents and prime ministers depend on these frauds. But they fail them. And all of a sudden Belshazzar, his face began to grow more pale. Filled with fright. Nobody can save me. The news came to a a queen, maybe the mother of Belshazzar. She was not in the party. Who can save us? Who can read this riddle? Who can deliver us? Oh, the queen mother came into the hall, probably mother of Belshazzar, as I said, and I'm sure he, she said something like this. Don't worry, son. Don't worry. <laughs> I know how to handle this because I know a man, his name is Daniel, he helped your uh, father, means your ancestor Nebuchadnezzar. He will read it, everything will be all right. Be cheerful, have fun. Problem will be solved. Babylonians are known to solve problems. Daniel was over 80 years of age. A man who trusted in God and lived a righteous life all his life. And he was brought in. Hey, Daniel, you are the captive from Judah, aren't you? Here is an opportunity for you to become rich and famous. Read this riddle and interpret it for us. I'll give you what type of uh, clothing do you have? You see, look at that, you know. I'll give you purple. Purple, people of means where I'll give you purple. I'll give you a gold chain around your neck. I'll make you the third highest ruler of this land. The reason was, of course, Nabonidus was the real king and he was the co-regent, so he was the second. So the only position he could give them was the third. And in the book of Genesis, you find Joseph was made the second highest ruler because Pharaoh was number one. And then the second position was given to Joseph. But here he says, I'll give you purple. I'll give you gold. I'll give you such high position. I'll make you rich and famous. So that it will. How many preachers today will be so thrilled to go to the White House? and compromise their faith. People love to be next to power and persona. 
They like the glitter and the glory. But I appreciate Daniel and his boldness, his difference, his righteousness, his standing for truth over 80 years of age, declaring with no uncertain terms the judgment of God upon this man. And listen, when the evangelicals are interested in getting rich and famous, listen to the word of Daniel. Keep your rewards with you or give it to somebody else. Come on now. I don't need anything. You have to give it to me. I don't need any fame from you, Belshazzar. But I'll speak the truth. He says, keep the gift. Give it to somebody else. I don't need your gifts. That's what Abraham said to the king of Sodom. And then read it. He rebukes the king. He really and literally preached to him that he was arrogant. Though God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and was and he was taught a lesson about this most high God who sovereignly rules all. And nobody can say anything to him. And you knew this. Read verse 22. You knew this revelation. But you refused to humble yourself. Read it. It's interesting. Your sin is great because you knew the true God and his will. The God of Israel, creator of the heavens and the earth, the sovereign God who sets up kings and extirpates them, puts them down, approaches them. Yet you did not fear this God whom Nebuchadnezzar was taught to fear and to revere. You set yourself against this God. You defiled his vessels. You mocked this God and you praised God's made out of gold and bronze and iron and wood. So now listen, he says. Mene, mene tekelufarsen. And he sees these as four verbs, past participles. Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Many, many, there is repetition. In other words, God has really numbered you. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That's the meaning. We read the psalm, oh Lord, teach us to number our days. Let me tell you, there is one who is numbering your days and weighing your deeds every day. May God help you to learn how to number your days which are few that you may apply your heart to wisdom. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought to an end. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, he was given seven more years to learn few things, and at the end he was restored. But to you it is finished, because you knew this. Numbered, numbered. And then weighed. What do you mean weighed? See, we grade ourselves in the light of our own ideas of what is right and what is wrong, or in terms of the societal standards, and we always come out well, isn't that true? 
But most people, when they deserve a C, they always give themselves one, an A. That's the way we are, isn't it? And he said, you've been weighed in the scales of God on the basis of righteousness. God's righteousness. Concerning which Paul says, all have sinned and come short of deficient in the glory of God. How are you doing? Fine. Everything financially, everything is okay. How are you doing? God has weighed your deeds. He has his own standard. That's what the Bible is all about. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And your deeds are put on one. And God's standard on the other. And you begin to go up. In other words, you are light. Wicked are like chaff. Someone says they are chaff. Which what? The wind blows away. Yes, you've been weighed. Your deeds have been weighed in the balances. And I found it deficient. Without weight. Without weight. Another word for that, you are e you have no glory. You have no weight. And so here it is. You have been weighed on the scales of God and found wanting. And then the last word. Your kingdom is divided and given to Medes and Persians. As revealed in Daniel's chapter 2. No mercy. No patience. Everything done. Finished. Counted. Weighed. Divided. Finished. See the difference in reality, the great party. But God says, you are finished. Think about that. Don't trust in what you think you are, what your uncle said you are, what everybody else said you are. Ask God to teach you to number your days aright. And the truth is, let me tell you the truth. All have sinned. And all are e-cabots. All are chaps. All are lightweights. And yet we sit together and say, I'm champion. I'm great. So what should we do? That is the whole story of the gospel. He who knew no sin became what? Sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. In him. That is the story, let me tell you. It is for Belshazzar, it is for everybody else. You see what was going on through the dry riverbed in the middle of the night, came into the city, the armies of Persia, and put an end to the party. They never thought that would happen. Never happened in the history of Babylon. Read the 30th verse. It says this, that very night, Belshazzar, king of Babylonian, was slain by God Almighty, all sovereign who rules the universe, and took the power and gave it to the Persians. God gives, God takes, God sets you up, God puts you down. Now this should tell us this is just a prelude and a prefiguring of the final judgment that is awaiting for you and for me. 
This judgment of Babylon is a prefiguring of the final judgment of all Babylonians, all haters and enemies of the true and living God of the Bible, all those who trust and depend upon the intellectual frauds of the world, the soothsayers. And so turn with me to the last book, 17th chapter of Revelation, and there in verse 5, you just read it and you notice the end of Babylon. You turn to 18, the chapter, and there look at verse five, verse 2, with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. And look at verse 19, verse 3, and again they shouted, Hallelujah! The saints of God are going to shout and rejoice because Babylon that defied God has fallen. The saints of God are going to rejoice because God is glorified. And again they shouted hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. God is going to judge the deeds performed in the days of one's life on earth. Look at Revelation 20, the books will be open. Will be judged according to the deeds written. The question is, are these deeds done for the glory of God or are they done against God's glory? The party has come to an end. God has a way of putting an end to the party. God has a way of injecting some realism into our life. Let me tell you, your end is coming too. Turn with me to, let's read a couple of scriptures. Psalm 62, verse 7 and 8. Very important in the light of what we are hearing. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this to the man whose land produced such wonderful crops. He gathered it, built a new barn, and filled it. Retirement is now secure, and he said to himself this, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. That's what Babylon said, 20 years. Impregnable walls, enough water. No one ever breached it. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now that's what the man said. Let me read to you what God said. It's in the same chapter, you fool. Teach me to number our days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. You fool! This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Man proposes and God disposes. Seventy years, or by reason of strength, eighty years full of troubles. Lord, teach us to number our days. They are few. Imagine an hourglass. It is going down fast. Days are going down. 
past. It is time that we put away arrogance and have some wisdom which is fear of the Lord, which is trembling before God and be quick to do the right thing. What are you going to do? Live in unreality or living in sobriety? I have pleaded with you. And when they walk out, I could see that they didn't hear one thing I said. Lack of wisdom. Wisdom is fear of the Lord, isn't that true? Wisdom is running in the way of righteousness. Soon the end will come. And it is my prayer that when you stand before God, he would say to you that you have been found not deficient, justified through Christ. Hallelujah. Justified. You can laugh if you want. You can mock if you want. But one day you will hear the voice of the Son of Man. Graves will open up and all will stand before God Almighty. And it is my prayer that that day you'll be justified and not condemned. So I counsel you by the mercies of God to hear hard words like repentance, judgment, righteousness, hell, heaven. These are real words. You can go to soothsayers and they will tell you smooth things. I don't tell you smooth things. I want to inject a dose of realism into our life that we may be saved. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. Help us to pay attention to your word. Help us to submit ourselves to this God most high, the only sovereign Lord, the only true and living God. Knowing him through Jesus Christ is eternal life. Grant your people eternal life. Teach us wisdom that we may walk daily in obedience to you, O God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.